0: Hi everyone, this podcast is brought to you by the Fancy Animation Research Network. If you like what you hear and want to support the show even further, the best thing you can do for us right now is to leave us a short review and a star rating on the iTunes store. It's very easy and takes no time at all. More ratings increases our visibility and gives us a better chance of reaching a wider audience. For more information about the network, visit fantasy-animation.org where you can comment on our blog posts, have a route around our podcasts and join the Fancy Animation mailing list. But for now, we hope you
1: enjoy the show. Je Hello listeners and welcome back to the Fantasy Animation Podcast with uh, your hosts Alex Sargent and Chris Holliday. Today we are here to talk about uh, the triplets of Belleville or Belleville Rendezvous depending on uh, which uh, side of the English channel you happen to be uh, sitting on. I was going to say we need to probably,
0: after the Ghibli Ghibli fiasco, we probably need to... Make a, Maybe we should just stick to uh, the triplets of, of Belleville. Let's I, go with triplets of Belleville. I certainly
1: think that's safer in terms of my pronunciation issues. Uh, yeah.
0: You say that, but I'm going to get you to say the name of the director shortly. So uh,
1: well, that will that will be good for us. Strap in. Um, the triplets of Belleville, a uh, cell animated, reasonably traditionally stylized, uh, acclaimed animated comedy according to wikipedia as i've just discovered as of four seconds ago but um i think we can sort of debate and discuss that a little bit
0: we can i mean i've looking at some of the stuff around the film it's also has a word that we perhaps wouldn't normally associate with perhaps some of the films that we've been looking at and that's the word drama it's it's described as a as a kind of comedy drama um and there are and hopefully we'll get on to talk about this some of the Sort of harrowing, and there are quite harrowing mm. moments in in the film, augmented by again something we'll talk about. It's it's visual style. So yes, I mean, yeah, and you mentioned cell animated, but certainly I notice moments, and I'll have to dig dig a bit deeper. But certainly I notice moments where it, it looks like it could only be. CG some sort of three dimensional um, dream I mean it all is all dreamy but yeah. some dream sequences and also a bit of live action footage as well because the role of live action footage plays plays a role within the narrative as well so it's it's animation of course it's fantasy animation but it's fantasy slash animation slash lots of other
1: things That's interesting before we get to the film then I guess that's it's time for another round of Alex's impossible questions Yes uh, good because obviously someone that sort of uh, comes at animation I mean, I'm starting to learn more and more the more, you know, I'm forced to hang out with you, but I think I'm still uh, a little bit worried about what I'm supposed to classify everything as. And as a sort of punter, I think, looking at this movie, it looks, in my head, like the sort of traditional cell animation, one I might associate with Disney. Um, But I understand that behind the scenes, perhaps, it might have been rendered through computer graphics. So again, does that cause any issues or challenges in terms of... um, thinking through these distinctions in the digital age? I mean, arguably, I would I would have thought, like, in, in the age of computers, all animation is digital yes. animation to some respect. So, you know, does that uh, cause any problems in terms of classification?
0: No problems, just opportunities. <laughs> opportunities for convoluted explanations. Said like a true scholar. And right? I would... So, I mean, yes, I would say... The questions and certainly some of the areas that it seems to touch upon is something that I know that we're both interested in. That's the idea of kind of craft and mark making. And so I tell lots of my animation students about the role of the computer and the computer. You draw a pencil line on a piece of paper and it looks like a pencil line on a piece of paper. Same with pen and paint. A computer looks like nothing. Um, It can be made to look like things but it looks ostensibly nothing and I, I don't know if we've talked about this before but a process of cell shading or tune shading where the computer is made to look like cell animation or certainly hand drawn flattened graphical animation so we could class something like the Simpsons movie as, and Family Guy as computer animated series mm. because they are animated through computers using kind of stylus, digital pen and ink, these kinds of things. But what's interesting is that a vocabulary surrounding the handmade and artisanal notions of craft seems to find their way into digital processes. So we still talk of, of shading, of inking, of, of painting, but often that is, is sort of um, preceded by the word digital or yeah. virtual. But it's so it it's it, it, it. I mean, it does. Yeah, it does. Um, open up some some questions about the role of the hand and the handmade and drawing and craft within wider sort of industrial processes. And certainly, watching um, the triplets of Belleville, I would I would say that it's it, it really exploits its animated qualities uh, through its character design and its its visual style. But the aesthetic overall, and it may use mixed media, but I think the aesthetic overall is is very. Um, Cell animation. So we're
1: talking about an aesthetic more than we're talking about an actual sort of worry about the process. That's very interesting. Because I think we can talk about sort of the way this film plays with issues of uh, of nationality and nostalgia. And is that fed into a sort of nostalgia for things that are hand drawn, things that are handmade, that that definitely seems to be part of the sort of pleasure. Yes of this movie there's, you know. there's
0: lots of things I, and, I, and i haven't I hadn't noticed it while I was watching it, but now you talk i, I meant I can think of moments where people are are working there's, a, there's a bits where characters are sitting at tables hunched over and and working with hands and there's I don't know there's there's a, certainly given the narrative of the of the film and we'll talk about this mm-hmm. the idea of practical effects. Mm-hmm. um the role of practical effects in in the film itself it, this isn't going to be another podcast where we claim that everything is about animation that animation is folded into the film
1: that's not going to happen Can i have another impossible question before we start actually yes. on that note because i because chris and i have started to draw up a list of things that we've now said too much and one of them is isn't this film interesting because it it's sort of about animation as much yes. as it is using animation yes. but unfortunately this movie's really interesting because it's sort of about animation as much as it's using animation. Yes. So I just wondered, like, maybe we should deal this question on the head here. Yes. Like, is there something about animation that you think, I know this is very speculative, but like, that, that sort of makes you have to sort of narrate the process as part of it? Um, Is is it a coincidence that we, I'm wondering, is is it us looking for this stuff, us as sort of animation geeks looking for moments that reference animation and therefore we're naturally inclined to highlight it? Or is there just something about animation that feels the need to sort of discuss its own, own process whilst it's doing it? Well
0: that's interesting because animation scholars would argue that animation itself is a medium that has to narrate its own process. otherwise. The page is blank. The screen is blank. And so one of the genres... There, In fact, there are... are, Of the the nine or so genres... Nine? Nine or so genres that Paul Wells, in his book on animation, his short 2002 book on animation, uh, argues that of the nine genres of animation, there are two that seem to speak to the conversation we're having. One is deconstructive, and one is sort of self-reflexive. And so I'm wondering whether given animation is a fundamental rhetorical enunciative metaphorical it is about the thing it is a drawing of of a flower is about notions of flowers and flowerness i'm wondering whether given animation is this sort of rhetorical medium whether it with every frame it narrates its own its own process and so it might be that we're looking for it and certainly the films that we have looked at and a lot of enjoyable movies that we've Within animation history, Hoover and Roger Rabbit, are about animation. They're about those things. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one whether animation is always
1: one of its key tenets is this issue of self reflexivity and where we see these sorts of moments. Do you know what I get to say now? It's really interesting because that's very similar to debates that happen in fantasy scholarship. There's a lot of fantasy scholarship, certain t- terms of literary theory, that talk about. Uh, fantasy as a narrational strategy that merges out of the sort of birth of the modern novel and basically all that's different between um, the standard you know practice the the modern novel being something you know quite not very modern at all but sort of from the 17th century onward which is that idea of a story that's self-contained and tries to present itself as if it were really happening Um, all that fantasy does is sort of uh, narrate and self-reflexively think about that process as you yes. go along. So, and exactly as you're saying, they talk about sort of fantasy is basically an, a, a rhetoric of narration. It's a way of um, of commenting on and dramatising narrational strategies exactly as you're saying and there are scholars for example like Christine Brooke Rose uh, and Brian Atterbury as well as uh, people we've mentioned on the podcast like Farrah Mendelson that are very interested in this idea that fantasy is actually a, a form of rhetoric it's a form of, sort of yes. trying to convince even though it knows it will fail to convince so it sort of it lays its um it lays its rhetoric on it, um, out for the reader to see rather than other narratives that try to sort of disguise or hide it yes. so there's something very similar uh, across those two subject matters, there.
0: Well, actually, looking and I'm now familiarising myself with with Wells' work on on uh, animation genres. It's mm-hmm. it's deep structures, and actually, self reflexivity and deconstruction come under one banner. However, they seem to underwrite a lot of the other genres: formal, uh, deconstructive, I've mentioned, um, political, re narration, uh, abstract, and then paradigmatic. That anima- animation is is kind of fund- fundamentally paradigmatic because it's it's about things. It's mm-hmm. it's through through the process of drawing and animation, it is about the treatment of something or the interpretation of preconceived codes, preconceived conventions. Um, it can flip and turn specific through its specific vocabulary, issues of, of narrative, representation of time and space. So yeah, maybe there's something. And actually, this this is something that we've talked of um, off podcast, if you like. But the role of, of surrealism as this. Mm potential thread that connects fantasy. Maybe it is, instead of a slash between fantasy and animation, it should be the word surrealism written on its side. But there's certainly lots more we can do with this fantasy animation I- intersection as we as we go on and discover new bits bits to the way they come together.
1: Wow. Okay. Wow. Well, I, I mean, I didn't actually know we we hadn't planned that, listeners. But that was interesting. That it came up before the discussion even started. However, people have tuned in for a discussion about of Bell, but not an abstract conversation about. Uh, well, they're going to be going to sort totally mistaken. Should we try something slightly different this week? Why don't we try together and just go go through the plot as quickly as possible in terms of. Um, what happens in a nutshell, in case people have never seen this movie before and they need to come at it yes. and understand what on earth this thing is. And then we'll sort of go through it slow, more slowly, beat by beat. So, just very basically, the film is a near-silence yes. sort of physical yes, yes, comedy. Yes. It has a few bits of dialogue and it. It, it, it isn't deliberately silent, but it, it doesn't feel the need, I would argue, for its characters to speak. The protagonist is silent. Yes.
0: Throughout, I'm pretty sure. Aside from a few sort of maybe noises and, and grunts, most of the sounds are, as you say, um, uh, diegetic. We would mm-hmm. say so they're sort of they come from logical sources within the setting. So uh, news reports, radio commentaries, TV bulletins, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I've just the thing you said about nostalgia right at the right at the top. Yeah. Um, I wonder whether that silence is part because sure. animation is a silent medium, and so I'm wondering whether. Uh, it's it's kind of stripping animation right back, but no, that's yeah. very
1: interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a, certainly a very nostalgic editor. This is set. When is this set? Well, it it has <laughs> a pro. It has
0: a. Um, I should well, I should also interject that you've you've dazzled the new format for the the podcast with regards to going through the
1: plot uh, straight away. One. I just thought this is a sort of movie that, like, if you don't have at least a, a slight grounding on what on earth happens in it. It's the Things most might diff- sound very it, difficult. It
0: is certainly a, a challenging <laughs> um, it's certainly a challenging narrative to explain. So mm-hmm. thanks for to Well sh- let's just do it a, g- we'll
1: do it in a nutshell if we can. So, it's a sort of uh, thriller, caper, almost sort of ealing comedy-esque sort yes, of uh, yes. farcy structure. Whereby we have this sort of um, elderly woman—is uh, it—is it Madame, Madame uh, Souza? Souza, yes. So, who is um, looking after or helping her son? Is Grandson. That right? Grandson. Grandson trained for uh, the the Tour de France. Yes. As uh, I say, when is I'm not quite sure when this film is set. I'm not sure if that's really established. Well, it, it begins. Sort of yeah. Well, it begins with
0: a prologue. Um, a mu- it begins with a mm. prologue that's sort of a musical number that's set um, at the turn of the, the century, and then then you've got a kind of um, fast forward where the child grows up. So um, the grandson champion grows up under the tutelage of Madame yeah. uh,
1: Souza. So the plot is basically the the, the grandson gets kidnapped by um, a version of the French mafia. Yes. Um, taken to Belleville. Yes. Um, uh, where their sort of headquarters are, and the uh, grandmother's uh, Madame Souza, embarks on a sort of uh, a campaign to get her back, which involves. Um, Collaborating with these sort of very strange uh, triplets of Belleville, who are these sort of former vaudeville stars. Yes. Uh, and there's a whole manner of sort of hijinks and, and madcap uh, fun on the way. That's that they'll that, do as a sort of basic plot so. synopsis. I'll
0: slip in the, the dog, the dog Bruno, who plays the dog Bruno. Of, Br- so it's a buddy movie between yeah. Madame Souza and it's, I mean, it's. What is it? It's uh, a lethal weapon, but it's animated. So we've got Madame Souza and Bruno on a hunt to try and find Sousa's grandson who has been kidnapped.
1: So I, so just with that plot, I, I sort of feel like I need to address a slight, you know, elephant in the room of like, is that a fantasy film? Uh, because I can believe some listeners would go, well, dogs you know, dogs going along for the ride, madcap capers, we're in the realm of fantasy. Got it, I understand why you two are doing it. Others might think, well, none of that actually sounds necessarily like a fantasy plot. Sure, it sounds a bit far-fetched, but theoretically, apart from a certain amount of anthropomorphism, there's not a lot that happens in this film that couldn't happen, even if it wouldn't happen every day. Yes. Uh, And I think there's something interesting in that, in that when I was watching this film, I, I couldn't help feel that um, it was a fantasy film, but it took me a while to articulate a while to articulate how it was a fantasy film and why it was functioning as a fantasy film. And I think I ultimately came up with it, with the point that, that this is a fantasy film through the way it's told rather than necessarily what it's telling. Mm. I think there is a way of doing this story that would make it seem far more realist, you know, far more um, grounded in sort of, I don't know conventions of noir or something like that. But what we get here is an incredibly stylized, fantastical vision of Belleville the world of Belleville that sort of ties into a lot of interesting things to surrounding the um, surrounding um, animation history caricature and I think sort of Frenchness and French nationality this felt like a sort of a French fantasy if I dare um, mm. dare sort of be so glib well
0: we've often spoken about the relationship between fantasy and animation as perhaps misleadingly so one of simply form and content mm. that animation um, brings to like all- uh, there is a fantasy plot on animation. Colors it in. Uh, equally, that fantasy or the word fantasy finds a way into a discussion of animation uh, through uh, uh, the inherent fantastical nature of the medium. The medium is fundamentally fantastic because it is unrealistic and so forth. So here, here you're saying that that animation and fantasy aren't form and content. That actually, those two things are in an exchange, that it's not necessarily the events themselves, mm-hmm. i.e. the content that is fantasy, but that actually f- fantasy relates to the animation in the way that it's told, and again nothing to do with the unrealistic uh, ontology of-, of animation per se that it is um, not un- not like real life or not like live action cinema, but there's something around that the, the fantasy of the animation is rooted in quite specific aspects of design mm-hmm. and sound image relations, these kinds of details or nuances in the film that's, you know, there are no fairies and this isn't a fairy tale and this isn't... um, Though, you know, it begins with that flashback with the um, triplets triplets that are singing, voiceover, it sounds little... I don't know, it sounds like... um, uh, what's the word like a fairy? It's
1: like a fairy story. It's it's setting the the terms of the world. Yes. Um, well, there's a lot of pleasure in world building. and yes. things like that. But I would just you know I think I just yeah. I, and I and I think that is fantastic. It's hard to articulate. I think there is something fantastical about it. Maybe as we get through what I'm what we're both trying to sort of articulate mm. here, will will become more apparent to listeners. But I think I think that it's that thorny issue of like there is nothing. Inherently fantastical about the characters, but the way they are expressed, and I think the devil's in the detail, as you're saying. This is a film of of little touches and light little moments yeah. here and there that you can unpack. And actually, we were we were talking to some colleagues about the movie a couple of days ago. Um, well, we said we were recording a podcast on it, and they were gushing over it. Um, in a way that I think made us feel like we better step up to the plate and do something proper with this this uh, yeah. episode, um, because um, because it was such a sort of cherished cherished item to them. But um, what they were gushing about were little moments little uh, yeah. sequences that moment where the character does this or touches this or does that little gesture it's a, it's a film where the fantasy is in the style and the nuances and the detail which is which is interesting to talk about
0: and yet, i suppose on the flip side is that the narrative and the character design and the world doesn't offer us that much but it offers offers us details so uh, and suggestions and um, allusions so the face uh, faces of characters not beautifully rendered in three dimensions. There's a suggestion of a nose, and, and, and some eyes, and an ear, and and, and again with the, the dog Bruno. And so there's lots of, um, the sparse nature of the dialogue is reflected in the sort of stripped down aesthetic style
1: that it is that it is a film of not much, but what there is there is is that's, sort of powerful. That's really interesting. Uh, a fantasy theorist, literary theorist called, uh, I mentioned her earlier, but uh, Christine Brooke Rose, Brooke Rose, um, Writes a book called *The Rhetoric of the Unreal*, and she basically makes two distinctions between two kinds of literary strategies that are two ways of invoking the supernatural in fiction. And one is what she calls overdetermination, and the other is what she calls underdetermination. Um, and overdetermination is actually slightly easier to get your head around. It's the idea of like you tell a story where the words do more than they can. So if I say, um, "Once upon a time, there was a fairy kingdom with magical elves in them." Uh, it's a bad sentence, but it does its job in the sense that it overdetermines the reader. It uses language to create something that doesn't exist. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the other strategy, though, is what she calls underdetermination, which is the idea that you leave gaps and you leave blanks. Yeah. So something mysterious happened last Wednesday leaves gaps for you to fill in with whatever you want to fill it in and it invites the opportunity for the reader to place the supernatural into the sentence and i think this is a film of underdetermination in a way yeah um there isn't much in it to over to that is inherently fantastical on screen but through its suggestions and through its stylization and through its playfulness it it allows spaces for you to fill in with imaginative uh, with sort of an imaginative sensibility. Yeah,
0: well that's that's a, an, again another dimension to the relationship between, <laughs> between fantasy and animation. A note that perhaps, again, I'm thinking about, about the issue of time and, and the nature of, of how we don't, there's not that much on screen, uh, is sort of dead time. So a lot of and I and I remember being taught this when I did the French New Wave um, about Tom Moore, sort of dead time and plan second, So films where sequence and I think this really anticipates slow cinema and, and things like this. Um, a film where not much happens, but you and what does happen is perhaps there's a fidelity to, to space and time, and it's not that it's long takes, but there's a real really draw uh, drawing out of certain activities. And so all of this stuff around uh, an undeterminedness to The film that is reflected in both sound and image uh, and sequences where characters are doing things and we're seeing the labor that that's really cool, I think, to yeah, start yeah. thinking about fantasy and animation in these. That fantasy and animation is not just narrative and, and style, but it's like it's stuff like time and it's stuff like um
1: duration. That there's a, a temporal element of fantasy and animation, sure, sure, right? Well, Ooh. let's 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 go through it then. So we start with this. Uh, yeah, sort of dream flashback sequence where we see the treatments of Belleville at their finest was sort of shown. Um, is it in black and white? I'm I'm trying to. Is that just my memory playing tricks on me or uh... no? The
0: f- the film moves actually. A colour is something we we haven't spoken about. <laughs> but there are bits there are bits of the film that move into um, black and white, and certainly the the sort of you know as a shorthand for the past. It begins. Yeah. It begins with this, and I think we actually both had similar grouping of words when we wrote about this opening musical sequence: um, surreal, grotesque. I had carnivalesque, monstrous, nightmarish. <laughs> which is a strange way to think about the opening of a film. But um...
1: no, I, I think I think grotesque and and carnivalesque and caricature yes. are words I kept writing down because, uh, in a way, I think this movie is uh, the film equivalent of those uh, caricature artists sitting by the Eiffel Tower right. who like, draw your picture with a bigger nose and, a, and fatter lips and all this kind of stuff. And what you get at the beginning is this sort of um, evocation of the sort of grand, um, it's not necessarily suggested that it has to be Paris, but a Parisian uh, moulin rouge sensibility yes. of the sort of high-kicking uh, burlesque show of of French Pomposity and and, and regality. Uh, there are all these different dancers and things on there. There's even actually very interestingly, and we said the devils in the detail, um, an African performer at one point that's painted in a very uh, caricature manner. So I think the film, uh, although it's sort of celebrating French past, it also puts this moment of actually quite. Uh, confrontational racial sort of dynamics in there What well, it seems to me at least yes. that it, it's sort of addressing just very quietly to the to the viewer this idea of, of, a, of an imperialist France an imperialist nation and and a sort of a, a, an issue of caricature where we get a racial caricature on screen and how we confront that and deal with that but it's sort of it's sort of in a few minutes sets up what you've got to deal with for the rest of the movie which is this sort of often um, overwhelming uh, sense of style, but within that style, one starts to make sense and pick apart some really interesting details.
0: Okay, sorry listeners, I'm gonna just very quickly interrupt. I just wanted to talk a little bit about films and television. And what happens, say hypothetically somebody who is listening to the podcast would love to contribute uh, and they have a particular moment from one of their favourite fantasy or animated television shows or films. What, what could they do?
1: Yeah, it's quite a good question that. It's a great question. I, I suspect there's quite a lot of listeners out there that would like to take part in the conversation they feel a little bit intimidated perhaps, they don't know where to start. Fantasy animation is such broad sort of topics, where do I go with it? Um, so what we've done is we've created a new uh, blog format for people to take uh, part in, which is what we're just calling the sequence analysis. So what you can do
0: is you can take um, a sequence of a couple of minutes, whatever it might be, from a particular fantasy show, film that you're interested in, uh, an animated television program or feature film or just something that interests you, it might not even be kind of an obvious choice. We love love the obvious, but we also like the obscure. So if you're interested in doing a short kind of analysis of a particular moment from anything that you're interested in, uh, do get in touch. You don't have to be uh, an academic, a scholar, you can be uh, maybe a practitioner, you can be a fan if there's a particular um, television program that you absolutely love or a film that you think no one's heard of but works really well. Do get in touch, we'd love to hear from you.
1: What would you do as a sequence analysis, Chris?
0: Oh, thanks for giving me an impossible question. I would probably do something from, I do Pixar related, something kind of contemporary, uh, or I might do like a really early um, kind of strange, something kind of involves strange magic. What about you?
1: Yeah, I reckon I do something from like uh, an obscure that I'm really interested in in pump in uh, comics from the 70s. Maybe like one of those sort of there's a lot of odd underground fantasy films from them that I might write on. So all I would do is take a minute or two of the film that speaks to me that I find particularly interesting or exciting or anything like that, and just try and put into words how it works or how uh, how it's functioning.
0: If you'd like to know more about our sequence analysis, you can visit the website uh, fantasy-animation.org, and you can also click through and have a look at some existing sequences analysis to see the kind of thing that we're looking for. You can also follow us on Twitter at Fan Anim Research or you can search for us on Facebook with a Fantasy Animation Research template But for now, we'll get back to the show. So we have, yeah, I think that, I think that's the, the kind of theatricality of the opening sequence, um, the references to sort of vaudeville and stage performance and um, dancing and and exhibitionism and, and all these sorts of things. Uh, vaudeville, you know, it's it and stage performances are, are the roots of animation, mm-hmm. shall we say? Um, but yes, the role of caricature and the caricaturing of celebrities. Uh, Django Reinhardt being one, allusions to um, certain um, jazz performance. So it's a very lively, very kind of bombastic opening, which is um, yeah, as you say, tells us what ha- tells us what we've got to deal with because it is a film of that is very, and this is dreadful because all films are this, but very, very visual. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was waiting for the next. I was waiting for the next scene because I was interested in, in and how it was going to look. And so it's a real tour de force in that sense of um, um, different kinds of styles, mm-hmm. um, visual styles, performance styles. Um, I saw Shelfla flag up something we haven't mentioned, and that's the director. Um, yes. We, we haven't yet mentioned uh, Sylvain Chomet. Apologies to the French. And the
1: reason I haven't mentioned him is, one, I can't say it, and two, I, I, I couldn't tell you much about him. Who is who is he and why should we um, be aware of his? Why should we be aware Well, he's, there's a, I mean,
0: he's... he's and The Triplets of Belleville is his first feature-length animated film, though he'd, it's like so many animators had worked um, on shorter kind of test pieces and so forth, and his, one of his more recent films, The uh, Illusionist, from around um, 2010. So there's some interesting... I, I first came to Chomet simply because he designed um, one of the couch gags for an episode of The Simpsons in his very sort of... Um, uh, I don't know surrealist typical style, if there is such a thing as a, as this typical style. Um, but he's very, in terms of the style of the, of this film, I don't know. It's very, it's not something that is uh, um, ascending to the the realm of, of realism. Like he's very much into a certain artifice, like the preservation of of artifice, and so it makes perfect sense that. The way that he thinks about animation is not with a fidelity to realism like some of the cartoons and, and feature length films we've, we've looked at and talked about, but something that uh, with every frame is announcing its, its animated qualities and does so through the way that the characters look and and, and stuff like that. So, um, yes, he's a, a French writer, animator, um, director, hasn't made it yet, yeah, hasn't made a whole lot of of. Um, of films but has some interesting short work and working commercials again lots of, of big studios and their animators started in, in commercials so um, yeah he's got a he's had a, a relatively long long career but Trippets of Belleville is the one perhaps that, that, that a lot of um, uh, audiences came to, mm. um, and, a, and a successful film as well from 2003.
1: Great, okay, so so we have this opening montage then, very interestingly, uh, we're talking about sort of cinema and uh, a very cinematic opening, yes. a very sort of entrenched in early cinema practices, we then get a sort of almost uh, a, a sort of weak, uh, a wipe, an edit, a transition yes. and we get interrupted by a television. Yes. Um, so we're, s- we're suddenly coming out of this television and the television's on, and this is all happening in the television, and we get this much more domestic scene which sets up our action protagonist here which is um, the home of uh, Madame Souza um, and and her uh, grandson and and her husband and things like that and you get this very quiet dinner scene yes. uh, which th- again detail it's all about the sound uh, visual uh, dynamic there are lots of little moments and and little uh, uh, sort of uh, tapestry of sound going on Cars, streets in the background, then passing each other, things on the dinner table and eating in silence. And it's interesting we transition from the theatrical to mundane like that. Yes,
0: and, and the um, the movement and sort of cacophony of yeah. sound and image in the opening sequence um, as the camera pulls back and we are in, as you said, the domestic space. The first thing I noticed was was the way in which colour is used to connote that space. It's very earthy, browns, yellows, dark reds, dark greens occasionally, mm. but really earthy colours that seem to move across the food, the decor, the costumes and clothing. Um, it's a real muted colour palette and so uh, we go from this quite lively opening sequence to where, where we, we feel like the image is bouncing and moving and, and, and bubbling along yeah. and then you get just this domestic space where characters are seated, are still Muted colours. She's uh,
1: like fixing a bike wheel, if I remember yes. rightly. And, um, and I think the bike, the squeak of the tyres. Well, that's. Like that. I think
0: that squeak, that that bike, the squeak of the bike wheel, and the movement of the bike wheel is kind of the only movement in the scene. The only the only sound and image, mm-hmm. um, or the sound and movement that we get in that scene is that spinning bike wheel. Yeah. So she is. She is, um, uh, Yeah. She. Her, her interest in. Champion as a potential champion of the Tour de France is immediately set up and her fascination with with cycling and it's interesting that her life is governed and her grandson's life is governed by movement and yet the frame is very still you know in terms of direct, which I think anticipates uh, the climax of the film where you have uh, basically three cyclists not going anywhere Uh, cycling not going anywhere Um, so there's a lot of stuff with movement and directional Mm. movement that that is interesting um, uh, and on that note, we should probably move forward.
1: Well, yes, and then and then we get the sort of the plot machinations kicking in. Kicking in, I think what we've described in that. Um, I mean, it's only the first few minutes of the movie, probably about five ten minutes. There we described, is is kind of what the rules of the game as they're established. Pun, you know, we're talking about French cinema. Pun slightly intended. Um, is is this idea of sort of the move? The, the story weaves between um, a quite kind of madcap, high concept story of of mafia and uh, plotting and criminal underworlds and all this kind of stuff. And this much more sort of slower tapestry of, of urban and rural life, which is on display. Yep. So it's like the characters keep pausing. They keep... Um, stopping and, and having moments in a lounge or in a, in a, in a dining room or, or just inhabiting the streets of a certain place and, and the film plays with that and it also keeps going back and forth between different settings but at the same time making sure it fills all settings with the same amount of detail to be spotted. What then happens then, I guess, is the story kicks in and and the grandson starts training for the, the, the Tour de France um, and then is uh, kidnapped by these sort of uh, French uh, gangster figures who, and this is uh, one of my favourite little details in the movie, the sort of henchmen French gangsters are drawn as rectangles, as exact rectangles that sort of almost like bricks move through corridors and squeeze through doors and things like that. Yeah, there's
0: a lot in the the way that the film uses character design to tell us something immediately about about issues of personality and temperament Mm -hmm. and whether they fall on the good or bad side of whether they are our antagonist or not so the sort of domino brick like french mafia that are all dressed the same and h- hunching shoulders and um, though the harsh lines of their shoulders are counterpointed with Sousa's quite rounded features yeah, yeah, yeah. so there's a lot going on in in and there's some really interesting stuff um you know playing an animation sequence silent and and being able to figure out who the good and bad characters are just by the way they look mm. rather than the dialogue so this film does that for us takes so, that takes the dialogue away and, and gives us the visuals to work with
1: is there a, is there a, a problem with that at all sort of politically um you know I'm just sort of that's an interesting point until until you, until you said it out loud I hadn't really thought about it as being a problem but you know so this is a film that basically does ask us to judge by what we see yes um, you know well this uh, is
0: traditions of what is it you know this is traditions of uh, well that's what the
1: grotesque and caricature does right is yeah. it supposedly through embellishment and exaggeration, it brings to life, it's a sort of physiognomical logic to it. It brings yes. to life your true soul through the way your face looks. And this is this goes
0: back to questions of rhetoric and, and animation is this rhetorical commitment to, and it's representation of, of race and ethnicity and, and diversity in the way that it tries to, um, and, and at the risk of... of anchoring this podcast to certain times there's a lot of stuff in the news about mm-hmm. caricaturing um, and how you caricature um, non-white identity mm-hmm. and actually there is some really good stuff on uh, within animation history so Carl Cohen's book on forbidden cartoons and and um, so there's lots of stuff on animation as sort of outlawed uh, because of the way it represents uh, certain identities and so forth so Yes, I think it is quite, it is pro- quite problematic and goes back yeah, tra- to traditions of caricature and, as you say, are founded on these discourses of embellishment that are designed to amplify. And, th- and then this is the knife edge that animation sits. Does it dilute because it is a ch- quote-unquote child's medium and therefore it doesn't mean anything because it's animation or is it the opposite? Is it the exaggeration because, because it commits to the idea of what a non-white mm-hmm. identity might look like?
1: I'm not, I not mean, I don't I suspect you're not that satisfied by that answer of the idea of that like if it's a child the medium then oh, abs- doesn't yeah. mean anything because obviously childhood is inherently ideological and yes, you know, I'm 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 the Freud fan here, so you know, welcome to that minefield. Um, but uh, I um, I think there's also a question of permission, right? So uh, I'm thinking back to the slightly uh, glib analogy I made about this film being an equivalent of a caricature artist sitting by the Eiffel Tower. Uh, when you give permission to the artist to caricature you, you don't mind that they make your nose look big or exaggerate some slightly unflattering part of yourself because you've given them permission to do that. So it's an issue of, of, you know, I guess power structure and things Mm. like that. And I think uh, this film's very interesting in that actually I think, this film, I wrote down in my notes glibly, this film looks French and do you know what I mean there's a certain truth and a certain ridiculousness Disgusting. to that do you know what I mean like it, it feels like it's caricaturing a certain vision of France or a certain sort of uh, you know fantasy of France for, uh but it has permission to do that by the very fact it's sort of by a French director, um, it's, it's engaging with its subject matter. Uh, I don't know, this question of permission seems important to me. And are you, are, who's giving permission to be caricatured here? Because if you're not being given permission, to, if you're not giving that permission, then you are caricaturing the other person, perhaps problematically. If the other person is allowing you to, to, to caricature, that's a whole different dynamic and much more playful and perhaps even subversive. Well, I would
0: say that sub- you know, subversion is, is, is the, uh, the political culmination of animation's rhetorical, ideological, metaphorical function.
1: And, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: and so the, the kind of culmination of it's a rhetorical medium that announces its artifice through every frame, but then the, the upshot of that is um, that it can be used for subversive political. Ends permission. I mean, it's interesting because I, I don't really think about it in terms of permission. I I, I thought about it all in terms of the, the of service of character. So how in a film that is stripped back of its of its sound and hasn't got much to go on in terms of the way that the characters are de- uh, designed, what it therefore has to do quite economically. And through a series of animated shorthands, is provide us in no uncertain terms the kinds of characters that we've got to play with, who are the chess pieces, and how is it all gonna, how are these characters gonna fit together? Um,
1: and- sure, I guess I guess I'm sort of vaguely playing devil's advocate, but like I wonder where the film does it. In a way that sits very well, and when so, for example, the, my favourite uh, scene and I was giggling while it was happening is there is a waiter in this uh, oh, film, uh, that sort of serves in the in the mafia stronghold sort of restaurants uh, where the climax takes place, and this waif- this uh, this wafer, exactly, uh, this waiter is sort of. Uh, He's sort of like a bit, like almost like a Stretch Armstrong is what the only sort of comparison I can say. He's bendy, he's elastic. Um, He doesn't seem to actually have a spine. He slops and rounds. He can he can fold in on himself. Um, And in a way, I can obviously the gag there is that you know the waiter is having to juggle all these roles. He's having to sort of be a a different face for every single person. And and so that process of caricature is very funny and very witty in that the 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 waiters the waiter's job and character is is pr- represented through his visual style. Yeah. But then I do wonder about something, and, and that's kind of fun because it's taking the mick out of, you know, basically... Um,
0: Those who have to bend over backwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Which, you know, and actually it's sort of, it's more about, you know, it, it, to me that seems a perfectly sort of innocuous target. I wonder with something like the scene where uh, Madame Souza arrives at the triplets' home, Uh, And the triplets are presented these sort of very almost like uh, harpy-esque old haggard figures who eat bowls of uh, frogs in swamp water, for for a better word, for dinner. Whether that's having some sort of caricature of age that's actually not necessarily sitting that comfortably with me because it seems to be sort of... It's, it's defining their character by their age and, and defining their age by its monstrosity. So, you know, it's falling back on actually some slightly pernicious uh, body politics. I don't know, I am 90% just being provocative by saying that. But is there a certain element of truth or, or should it be batted away vigorously?
0: I think in this instance, the film, because it's, it's sort of universally rooted in stylisation mm. and and sort of the angular and the geometric and the absurd, the absurdity of different pockets of um, French-ness, French identity, the yeah. the, the uh, kind of rural locations, um, three triplets, because uh, that's the only kind, um, three triplets together in a, in a house eating frogs, as you say, and sort of, what is it, dried um, tadpoles and stuff like this. It seems that it's, it crosses over into the, if it's all absurd, then then nothing is, and so uh, yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting idea that that there are uh, that the animation has
1: who the targets yeah. of the
0: animation are uh, and why and what what's the kind of political element. It seems politicized in 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 the in both cases, the good and bad. The French mafia, um, though they are kind of faceless and uniform, and actually mm. their lack of individuality is is central to their identity as this kind of anonymous organization, um, and yet these three triplets yeah you're right there is something quite it's unsettling for the audience but it doesn't seem that unsettling to the characters in the film and so it's sort of passed off as 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 normal or to throw it back is this where the fantasy kind of comes in that yeah. these are these are so absurd and so outlandish eating of, of the frog I mean I'm just I don't really know what no, to it's do interesting.
1: with that. I think I think I think what you said there about sort of perhaps this is all contributing to a cumulative yeah um absurdist vision of France. I think that to me strikes me as a quite compelling reading of the movie and that actually what it's doing is engaging with some sort of national uh, dialogue both both in a way nostalgically celebrating it but also picking apart and finding a uh, finding you know uh, finding absurdity in the very notions that it's critiquing and things like that, you know. Uh, playing with issues, stereotypes of cuisine. Uh, I think there's an interesting rural, urban uh, thing going on here in that that we shift from a quasi-rural setting at the beginning of the movie um, and then when uh, the grandson's kidnapped, he's taken to a sort of smog-filled urban city. Madame have is forced to sort of be homeless for a few nights. Uh, No one seems to notice that she's uh, on her own. You know, it's sort of um, an almost sort of Blakey vision of... Of Belleville, uh, mm-hmm. uh, with this sort of you know uh, haggards on every corner, chimney suites, coughing kind of uh, representation. Mm-hmm. So I think it's having fun with notions of Frenchness, uh, perhaps.
0: Another, I mean, another element of the film, and I've got, I mean, I've got stuff on songs and pantomime, sure, um, and performance, but uh, dream sequences. And I've got um, the bit where Bruno is sort of dreaming, and yeah. we have a dream sequence in. in in black and white, that he's dreaming because he's they're on a journey, and he dreams that he's sitting atop a train, a steam train. Um, and so, if if all the film is sort of strangely absurdist, and qualifies elements of the film's fantasy, what do we then do with the the dream sequences? Are they just another layer to that fantasy? Are they just because they, they're not? Out, in fact, the dream sequences are the perhaps the most
1: secure and uh, non outlandish yeah. bits of the movie. What is there just the one or is there I only counted one but I might have sort of slipped into Belleville World um at some point.
0: There are hmm, there are bits well there there are I I vaguely remember another another bit because of the black and white. Um but there are lots of bits where scene transitions I thought were interesting that that made me think about the lack of fixity and the plasticity of the world. So there's a couple of scene transitions where a man's face turns into um, a hamburger mm. um, uh, and then a saucepan of tadpoles becomes the moon. And so I, I guess I was always... The film kept me on edge because I wasn't sure what what, what was what and what bits were, you know, dream sequences and, um, and um, what were just bits that were... Peculiar. I don't know, a lot of the film is peculiar. It's no Yellow Submarine, but a lot of the film is peculiar. <laughs> um, yeah. I was trying to get a handle on it. It, was all, it felt all a bit up in the air and, and very loose. I, and I, love, I love the film, actually, thinking about it more, but it's, um, it keeps, keeps spectators and certainly invites spectators to be on their toes to think about what's happening next and the, and the, the way in which it's articulating its, its events in
1: any kind of order. It, what, why is it? Because I found it quite difficult to follow. I think I did follow it, but I had that sense that you described there of keep ha- kept having to check that I had kept up with it and kept feeling like I was about to lose it at any second. Um, I think there is a certain dream. I, mean, I, I only counted the one dream sequence. I don't know that matters too much. I just wanted to check because I've got written the only actual moment of quote-unquote explicit fantasy comes from a dog's dream sequence. Yeah. And that in itself is a wonderful articulation of the balminess of this movie, right? Um, I think there is something in this, um, by putting that in there, that opens up the possibility that all things are dreams, that all the visual Because the dream sequence isn't actually that crazy compared to no. anything else you see, right? It's um, slightly more um, far-fetched, I guess, and slightly more kinetic in its style. But other than that, it's not really any different so you're right I kept feeling like we we're about to slip into the land of of dreams and I guess it comes back to, to um, what' you about surrealism this is this is this is surreal um, it is it is puncturing at a, a reality at every step of the way and I don't and this is where it, I feel like it it's got to be considered as a fantasy because it 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 at no point wants you to engage with this as any kind of representation of anything other than uh, an emotional representation of sort of France or even the characters, you know, you can just read this film as a sort of fun farce involving some really well-articulated characters that are rendered really beautifully visually but, you know.
0: It's one of the things that connects fantasy sorry, that connects animation and and surrealism uh, and and surrealism is a word that crops up, certainly in describing animation but largely sort of the first decade of animation between uh, 1895 and 1905, that sort of embryonic period where where a French animator Emil Cole is making surrealist fantasy films with animation and, and stuff, so the word is not not immune to being um, connected together with animation. However, the thing that connects animation and surrealism, if if I know my <laughs> if I know my surrealist manifesto, is this idea that surrealism is and the translation you know above the real or a comment on the real, mm-hmm. uh, and that's that's animation. It's a com- animation is is surreal because it is equally as... Uh, it, it functions as a rhetorical commentary on on the real. So the whole film is surreal because it's it's an animated comment on I don't know certain yeah. kinds of French life. And so there's something we, we should ra- uh, grapple with this a bit more um, later down the line. The, it's, the it's, role of surrealism in, in all of this.
1: It's a comment, and it backs to what we were saying in our sort of prologue section of this thing. It, <laughs> it, it's a it's a comment. It's a comment on uh, French life. It's a comment on. The way on modes of photographic representation, yes, yeah, animation is yes, yes. obviously sort of very interested in that, um, and and it's a it's a French artistic movement. Yes, uh, and, you know, so it's interesting. It's not a coincidence; that it's come up in a French movie, right? It's uh, you know, it's it's the, uh, and uh, very glibly, I'm no expert on French uh, fantasy films, but if you think about the the French, if there is such a thing as a French tradition of fantastic storytelling. On screen that distinguishes it from uh, British or US counterparts or or you know other styles is is that sort of you know uh, hallucinogenic dreamlike feel its associations with the avant garde you know things like that are are part of the zeitgeist of French animation going back to sort of its its origins. As far as I know, I mean I'm thinking I'm thinking more with my fantasy hat on because it's what I know. But even people like Cocteau or someone like that. Um, use animation in a very 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 different way that isn't unreminiscent of this movie and that it, it provokes that kind of nice easy question of god this almost feels like a dream
0: well given we talked right at the start about um the te- uh, the, the chronology of the film if we think that the film is the prologue is in the early 1900s um, and that the and then champion the grand song side so it gets slightly older, The timing of the film, nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties, places it around a similar time where French cinema and French filmmakers are experimenting with sound and and moving the sort of kind of surrealist
1: tendencies, Um, and so there's and and having to fight with Hollywood and its ascendancy, yes, uh, both and America and its ascendancy. Yeah, you know, at this point, France still has a claim to be the most watched and most uh, popular cinema in the world. Yes, and it's starting to dwindle. So there's a, back to issues of nostalgia. Yeah, there's a there's a fantasy here of a time where France is. You know France's cinematic uh, legacy was shining. The star, shining star, was sort of at its brightest. Well, there's a absolutely, and there's a, a great book on French animation history by
0: Richard Newput that that talks about animated traditions in France and makes that comparison that that animation has always been perhaps more highly visible and attributable to American film production than than France. But what he, what he does do is talk about. Um, traditions of the visual and the graphic arts he talks about scientific inquiry theatrical spectacle in the late 1800s and early 1900s uh, bringing in avant-garde artists um, and figures who we might place on the side of experimentation so experimentation with time with space with sound and image um, and silence and so there's the film is about that kind of as you say vibrant creativity of of animators if you like or certainly people interested in the possibilities of visual representation across a wide spectrum um, though perhaps less real and more sort of yeah, abstract and avant-garde and experimental and expressive um, that are themselves and they're testing out animation and potential so Newport's book is really a, it's a history of French animation but it's interesting that, he, that the story begins at the time where the film is set Mm. Um, And so maybe that's the key.
1: Oh God, the film Mm. is about animation history. And now the QI clacks and sounds. Should we say a few words about the finale? Um, I don't know if I've got much to say about it, other than at that moment I did almost feel like it slipped into a slightly more sort of conventional populist uh, fantasy movie, uh, fantasy animation movie to me, in that we we get this sort of moment where the triplets and uh, Madame Sousa break into the mafia headquarters, they find their son... Uh, being forced to sort of ride a bike against his will, half starved to death, um, in the front of sort of paying punters who bet on who wins the race, uh, she uh, saves him through various of magic hijinks. They even do the classic sort of Rugrats. Uh, uh, Muppet Babies technique of everyone standing on everyone's shoulders and being putting a big trench coat on. Always like to see that in a film, uh, and then we get a sort of madcap chase through the angular streets of Belvo. Yeah, with impossibly uh, steep uh, um, streets and all this kind of fun stuff, and it you know it plays out like like a sort of Disney movie in a way. I think uh, it's certainly that the climax once the grandson
0: has been freed. Physically, if not psychologically, from <laughs> the trauma of, of, of riding like a horse, yeah. um, and that illusion is made clear when one of the riders collapses and is ostensibly put down. In perhaps the darkest moment,
1: God, in, a, yeah. in a bit mm-hmm. that
0: I was not expecting, um, but yeah, I, th- that end bit because it it becomes its own little mini movie, a chase sequence that just I got a handle on the film by that point, I think, um, and we went and we go from a sort of sequence where, yeah, the characters, the three kidnapped cyclists are cycling but not going anywhere suddenly they are we're on the move and the climax of the film as you say is this is this chase around a city space that is as exaggerated and deformed and plastic as the characters that are riding through it um, the only other note i've got is about uh oh, i wrote jack tatty poster yeah i noticed that jack tatty poster one for the uh, cinephiles and uh, this idea of kind of the musical and the operetta where Music seems to be in the air, and so characters are start a song, and then another character will continue it, and we get this sort of passed along song that connects back to the fact that the triplets are themselves improvisational musicians, and that and a lot of that, a lot of the film, if we, you've talked about underdetermined and kind of spastic, there's something I don't, there's something quite loose and imprecise and, and improvisational about about the film. I tell you what it feels like. It feels like
1: um, a French improvisation on a U.S. Uh, fa- uh, animation movie, if that makes any sense. Yes. It feels like the basic thread of this makes sense. The basic uh, plotting of this would fit the storyboards of any kind of DreamWorks-esque production, you know, set in France, but other than that, absolutely fine. You know, it's not dissimilar in terms of basic plot to something like Ratatouille that is set in France, but what we'll do with that along the way is embellish... We'll play, we'll caricature, we'll uh, riff on this and we'll diverge and the narrative won't matter too much. Uh, the narrative will be the, the thing we play with. Uh, again, back to sort of surrealist tradition, narrative is death because narrative is meaning. Who wants meaning when you can have uh, when you can puncture beyond the meaning? Uh, and we end with the Marseille. Yes, just to uh, just to throw that into the equation.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a really interesting w- way to frame the film as a as a rhetorical surrealist improvisational comment on American animation of the 30s. Well, or, well you or know, like I don't know. I, I, no, I think that's yeah. great because it reminds me of you know automatic writing and, and yeah. writing while you're sort of in a trance in a dream state. It's 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 animation done by automatic writing. It mm-hmm. feels it feels um, yeah very. Coherent in many ways, and and logical, and as you say, it's every so often you have to cue back into how to follow it, and it's it's you get there, you, you do get there, but there are bits, as you say, that seem to puncture how we might understand the logic of its world yeah. through whether it's tadpoles, whether it's um, you know licking frogs as if they were ice lollies. So they again, yeah, a film of touches.
1: Yeah, and that speaks to a a tradition, you know, in which France once was a leading player, well, still is a leading player, arguably, but certainly commercially isn't anymore, with back to issues like, you know, the lightning drawing and uh, character. Yeah, back to my analogy, I use it a third time, one of the thrills of getting your caricature done by the Eiffel Tower is that the artist does it in like five minutes right in front of you live. (laughs) Yeah, there's a certain uh, playful improvisational quality to that that's... Embedded within the pleasure of the movie, absolutely. Well, I think we've um, we've belved this uh, belved this to to death. So um, perhaps we'll call it a day uh, for 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 now. Uh, Thanks everyone for listening. You can you know uh, get in touch via the usual channels. You can uh, find us on Twitter at fananimresearch. F A N A N I M research. Um, Tweet us. your comments and thoughts on the episode. You can download this from the iTunes store, leave us a review there. You can uh, just download it straight off our website. There's a comment section there you can get on. Uh, And we have a Facebook page, do we not, Chris?
0: We do. We have a a sort of relatively, you know, newly launched Facebook page where we will try and post... Um, bits and pieces of various bits of information about the the network about stuff we're doing
1: so there are many ways to get in touch with us so please do yeah i'd be particularly interested actually we've you know i don't want to flood you everyone with with potential content here so we'll see what people want to talk about but one of the things that i'd be very interested in is we've got a discussion forum in there about future episodes yeah if you've got an idea of what kind of future episode you want us to cover please leave it there because we'll, we'll, we will take it seriously and consider it we're not making any promises but we will I suspect, uh, take your, your feedback very um, seriously, because we, we, you know, we, we haven't got all the answers we'd like to cover, what people want us to cover. Um, just like with this movie, we do not have all the answers. I mean, it's suggestion we, But we of the will answers. merely suggest and ask a bunch of questions uh, in a room. Uh, okay, uh, I think that's us done for another week. Uh, take care and see you next time. Bye. <laughs>